sit down and talk about it, but uh, it is something we need to look forward to. One of his final statements in Sunday school is, guess what? We're all going to die someday. Well, yeah. Uh, but I'm going to speak this morning on the final day for all of us. There is coming a final day. And we're, we need to be, if you would, prepared. Of course, Brother Steve said that too in Sunday school. But uh, I'm going to be taking my thoughts out of Matthew, the 25th chapter. He was in Luke and John, but I'm going to be in Matthew 25 to start with. Of course, uh, Mike thinks I'm going to preach for three hours because I gave him a whole card full of, of uh, scriptures for him to put up there. But them, some of them I'm just going to read, and some of them are just uh, confirming what I'm saying along those lines, not necessarily preaching on all of them, but I'm not going to hold you that late. I want to eat some, some lunch myself, you know what I mean? So, But anyway, in Matthew 25, if you'll turn there, I'll turn to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for how good a God you've been. We've had a good week, and I appreciate all you've done for us this week. Uh, Thursday night service was um, unusual, but very good, and we appreciate your Holy Spirit coming in and being a part of that. And Lord, we had opportunity to bring in folks that normally wouldn't even probably entertain the thought of being in church on Thursday night, but they were here because we promoted you and promoted uh, having some time together and some fellowship. So we appreciate that. Now, Lord, move on their hearts that they'd be interested enough into reaching into their spirit and trying to tie it to your spirit and be the, the people that you want them to be moving forward. So guide us through the service today, Lord. Have your divine way, and we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm not going to read all of this teaching and, and, uh, that Jesus taught here, but I am going to break in in verse number 31 in Matthew 25. I'm just going to read like three or four verses there, and then I'll tell you, the, and then I'll give you the conclusion in verse 46. Verse 31 says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory. Now, when it, what, did we, what does that tell you? This is Jesus. It ain't red letters in my Bible, but it should be in yours if you got a red letter edition. This is Jesus talking about him coming back. Okay, this is the final day. The final day for all of us. He says, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit on his throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from, his, from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. All right, now, there's a lot in that that I want to talk about, but to, he goes ahead and wraps some more thought into this. It's the thought of when you saw me hungry, when you saw me sick, when you saw me in prison, when you saw me thirsty, you ministered to me. And then he said to the second group, when you saw me sick, hungry, thirsty, you didn't minister to me. Now, verse 46 sums it up for both of those groups. It says, and these, which is talking about the ones that did not minister him, and these shall go away to everlasting punishment, 
but the righteous unto life eternal. So there's a righteous and unrighteous group that he's talking about. In the beginning of this, when he starts talking about it, um, he talks about the sheep and the goats. All right? Now, do you think God's going to have any problems telling any difference between the righteous and the unrighteous? Uh, it should be as obvious to God as it is for me and you to tell the difference between a sheep and a goat. All right? It's about the, the difference between a cat and a dog. All right? Let me do it that way, since you're not farmers per se. You don't see that many of those animals. Those animals were very prevalent in the first century when Jesus was giving this teaching. This is not a parable. He talked about a parable that led up to this teaching. And the parable that he talked about was the parable of the talents. He gave one five, one two, and one one. And you know the story of that. We're not going to go back to that. But this is not a parable like the parable of the talents. This teaching is separation time. And here he uses for us to get a grip on it because we have no idea what that separation is going to look like. We know there's coming a day when there's going to be a separation between heaven and hell and we're all going to be involved in it. But to give us some kind of grip in our physical minds as to the spiritual reality of it, he calls one group sheep and another goat. He says one's on the right hand, one's on the... It doesn't matter because God doesn't have a right hand and a left hand. He doesn't even have hands. But for us as physical people... It's going to be a separation time. You know on your right's over here and on your left's over there, right? You know how that separates. So that's what Jesus is trying to get to. But in reality, its separation is between righteousness and unrighteousness. Amen? Your ultimate goal should be to be someone that's a righteous person. Unrighteous people... They're just not going to be as happy on that day as the righteous people are. There is a uh, time coming that they need to be separated because in this world, Jesus says, we'll just leave them alone, let them mingle together, let it all work out, and then there'll come a day when we're going to separate everybody. Amen. The thought of eternal separation is going to be a real reality check for a whole lot of people. I don't know who's going to get into heaven and who's not. I am not in charge of heaven. I say that an awful lot because I know it's true and I know people when they go to funerals and I have been to funerals where the person standing up there giving, if you would, the speech at the uh, standing beside the casket will point to the person in the casket and say, I know they're in heaven. Well, I knew that person pretty well myself, and some of them I've been related to. And I say, wow, I wonder if I'm at the right funeral. That's not the way I remember that person. You know, but nonetheless, I'm not in charge of heaven. I can't tell you whether you're going to heaven or not. God sees your heart. I can't. I can only preach to you and try to encourage you to stir up your heart in the things that God wants you to be and do that you might have a right relationship with God. Now, when he gets to the end, he says there's going to be an everlasting punishment in verse number uh, 46. 
You know what that is? That's hell eternally. There's no return tickets. This is a one-way trip. When you get there, no coming back. That's what the rich man in the Lazarus parable was about. The rich man in hell lifted his eyes and said, Oh, send Lazarus to dip his finger in cool water and, and cool the, my tongue. I'm in torments here. And it, Father Abraham said, That can't happen. Sorry, that's not going to work because there's a gulf between. You're separated eternally from those that uh, are on the other side. Of course, he calls the other side, in verse 46, he calls it life eternal. Eternal means there's no end. Amen? Well, actually, no beginning or end. So that's where we spend what we call heaven, and we're there to stay forever. Now, there are times in our lives when we think, man, this life's just getting worse and worse, and Lord, how much longer? Has any of you ever had that thought? Yeah, you probably don't have a pulse if you haven't had that thought, because for the most part, all of us at one time or another said, Lord, man, how bad can this world be? It seems like they set a new low record on how bad this world can be every day in the world. Well, It'll even drive us to say such things as, man, this life sometimes feels like hell on earth. I've heard that, haven't I, Bonnie? Amen. There's times when that's voiced. And I always, it just stops me and I say, no, you evidently don't have the true picture of hell because there's nothing even similar or close to relating in this world, how bad it is versus how bad it's going to be if you spend eternity in hell. There's just no comparison that I can even think of or even put together for you. Amen? So uh, no matter what it is, you need to uh, understand that we believe that the Word of God tells us that whole hell is going to be a whole lot worse than the, your worst day that you've ever had on earth. Jesus in his wisdom spoke about this final day to capture the attention of his disciples and those that read the word generations following because if there's one thing that should keep our hearts and minds in tune with the Holy Spirit, it would be that God is still in control. God still knows what he's doing. There are a lot of people in this world that don't believe in God right now. I can tell you the statistic tells us there we're only about 13% of the people in America believe in God. Pretty low, isn't it? It's fallen like a rock. Next week it's probably going to be less, and next week after that even less. Uh, but we need to understand God is still in control. I don't know, maybe it's got to get down to one or two before Jesus comes back. But even at the things that are going on around us, we need to know that God is still in control. It's not me. It's not you. It's not Putin. It's not the government. It's certainly not anybody that we elect to take care of all of our problems because the problems seemingly are getting worse and worse, faster and faster. But God has been in control from the very beginning. That's what I talked to in Sunday school about, Brother Steve, that the, uh, there's 
so somewhat of a scientific evidence I saw being advertised on television, they were going to prove there's intelligent design to the creation that we know about, that we read from Genesis on in the Bible. Somebody was in control. Now they're, they're saying they have some kind of evidence by looking out into the vast of the solar system or wherever to prove that. Well, I was telling them in Sunday, you don't have to look that far. Yeah, they're 6,000 years behind as far as I'm concerned. My Bible tells me and I believe it. Amen? I believe God's in control because he said he was. And we need to just get on board and enjoy the ride. Amen? My grandpa once told me that we should plan to live forever, but live every day as your last. He said that all, well, not all, a lot of the times I hear him say that. Now, I doubt my grandpa was the originator of that thought. He probably read it, saw it, heard it somewhere. I don't know, maybe Debbie will Google it for me and tell me who the original one that was. I don't know. She straightens me out all the time with Google. All right, but my grandpa used to say that. Plan to live forever, but live every day as your last. And there's times that in my memory, and of course I'm just probably as small as these kids when I, he told that to me, and he would say it over and over again from time to time while I was working with my grandpa. But you know what? I don't think he was the one that came up with that, but it seems to me it made good enough sense that he thought he should pass it on, and if it was good enough for Grandpa to pass on, I think I should too sometimes. Now, I realize some of the things Grandpa said I don't want to pass on. <laughs> Amen? But nonetheless, uh, that wisdom we need to recognize that uh, we have enough sense to think about what we're doing. Now that I'm a Grandpa, there are a lot of things I wish I could pass on to my grandchildren on the spiritual side of life. But you know what? It's a growing process. It's a sanctifying process, and I guess uh, the best I can do is live the life so they see the spiritual dude and not the physical dude. If I do that, I'm probably going to be a success as a grandpa. Amen? We all individually have to make up our own minds about what we feel God wants from us while we're still on earth because there is coming a final day. Amen? So turn with me to 2 Corinthians 5th chapter. I'm going to just I'm, again, I'm not going to wear a mic out, but and give me just a little bit of time with a new Bible. It takes a little longer to get there because I don't have thumb index, but that's okay. I do have a memory of how to read the Bible somewhat. And I just want to read a couple of verses. I would like to be able to read from 1 down through verse 10 here, but I'm not going to do that. You can read that for yourselves later. And I want to kind of relate this to some of what we've been teaching on um, in the last few sermons that we have brought. But here in, in verse number 1, it says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, along with those lines, didn't we teach, uh, well, most of you may remember, John 14, 1 through 3. 
Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again, and there we'll be together. I messed it up, but that's what it says to that extent. Here, it's the same, if you would, as what I just read to you in 2 Corinthians 5 and 1. He's talking about Father's house, He's talking about your mansion or your tabernacle or your temple. Remember, we talked about all that. The word mansions is only in the Bible once, and that's in 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, in in John 14, there in those first few verses that we just quoted to you. And here we see, you know that if earthly house, what's your earthly house? This is it, this fat guy. That's my earthly house. That's where I live. Isn't that something? Now, if this earthly house of this tabernacle, what's the tabernacle? The tabernacle is where they built a building for God to live in. Whether it was Moses building a temporary tent that they could put up and take down as God's Holy Spirit led them by fire at night and by smoke or a cloud during the day, as God said, move, they did. They took the tent down, folded, they folded their tent and moved on. Amen? And when they stopped, when the cloud stopped, when the fire stopped, they built the tent, put the tent back up, put all the articles back in it, and God moved back in the tent. That was called a tabernacle in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, or even with Solomon building a permanent tabernacle or temple, they called it, in Jerusalem, it had the same impact. David got so much power, so much riches, from people around the world by being the, if you would, the most powerful war-ridden king that people would give him riches so that he wouldn't attack them and beat them up and take all their riches, if you would. In those uh, uh, days of David, um, the kings would have battles and take your pride. Well, David didn't whoop them all. That's where David got a lot of his wives. Did you know that? It was a custom. If you was a king and lost a battle to another king, you gave him one of your daughters to marry. No wonder David had so many wives. They're running everywhere. Amen. That's how many battles he won. I guess that's what you call the spoils, right? So here we find that in this scripture, it says if this earthly house or this tabernacle were dissolved, what does the tabernacle represent? The church. Doesn't that what it said in John 14, we talked about it when we preached on John 14. It was a couple Sundays ago, but um, it it's really should separate a lot of the thoughts in your mind. So here we have uh, our earthly house or our body. Then it talks about many mansions. That's our body. That is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And then it talks about the tabernacle. What is the tabernacle? It's the church or its father's house. We talked about it then. And it says here in this verse, if this tabernacle or if the church was to dissolve, do you know the church might dissolve someday? Did you ever think about that? Well, I don't know. And he says, uh, this, of this earthly house, this tabernacle were dissolved, for we know if, there's if, you got to remember if. That's one of the study words. Could be. It's conditional. If it were dissolved, we have a building. Okay? 
You have a place to live. God's got room for you. Amen? Didn't we teach on that? I thought I did. You're all looking at me like I'm from Mars, but God has a place for us not made with hands. Now, the tabernacle that was in Jerusalem, that was made by people. Now, God didn't mind staying there for a while until Jesus Christ was crucified and the veil rent in half and God left the building. Amen. Looked like some of those buildings down in Cincinnati, you know, where all the... It's just a vacant building because it's outdated and rather than remodel it or fix it up, which would cost twice as much as tearing one down and building the newer one, more modern and up to the standards of the, of the 21st century, they just walk away and leave it. How many of you have seen a Kroger where they build a bigger Kroger and the old Kroger, just an empty building? We have one on Liberty Fairfield Road at Route 4. We have one at 747 in the Smith Road. They're just big buildings sitting there empty because Kroger decided to update. Well, one of these days on the final day, God's going to update. And all the old buildings and all the old places that are unrighteous, they're just going to be left for nothing. He says that if, if it, when this takes place, um, this house not made with hands, eternal in heavens, notice that word heavens, it's plural. What does that mean? Oh, there's three heavens, isn't there? Oh, we have to understand what that. If they were dissolved, that means they're temporary. Did you know that? Anything's eternal can't dissolve. How about that stuff? Oh, well, we have a building in heaven eternally, a house. Amen. You know why it's not a home? What's the difference between a house and a home? A home's where you live. That's where you take up your dwelling. A house is just another one on the street. As you pass, how many hundreds getting here? Amen? Lots of houses. How many of them were homes? Amen? Especially for you. The only one you can think of is the one your address is where you get your mail. Amen? That's your home. Well, there's going to come a time on this final day when you're going to change addresses. And your house here will become a home there and God's going to make you a permanent resident with him in the heavens eternally. Amen? Alright. So if it's a building because it'll be added or taken away from the earth on this final day we can see where it would be useless if it was just talking about buildings. Amen? Can I tell you something? Your body that you got that you think so much of that you paint and you decorate and you clothe it right and you try to make it as handsome as it can be and cut the hair on it and trim it up and watch your weight and eat right. One of these days it's going to fall by the wayside. Amen? That's not your house any longer. You're going to get move into a new home. Amen? Now look at verse 10 and I'm still in 2 Corinthians 5. It, this kind of wraps up that. For, what's for mean? Because we must all appear. Who's going to appear? Who's all? Oh, okay. No exceptions? We're all going to appear, where? Before the judgment seat of Christ. 
that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Huh. You know, I've heard preachers say, how many of you would like to have your life story put on the projector for everybody to see? That'll never happen. You'll probably have secrets in your life you will take to your grave with you and nobody around you is going to know about it. But Jesus knows. Amen. So make sure you correct anything that's not going to be a part of your legacy when you get to the final day when everybody's going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. When I read that, Verse number 10 sounds to me exactly like what I read in Matthew 25, 31 to 34. Amen? It's coming a day. Amen? It just reminds me that. Notice, everyone may receive the things done in his body. But guess what? The body's not going to be there. Huh. How about that stuff? What's going to happen? Well, you're going to get a new body. Even if you don't make it to heaven, you're going to get a new body. This body wouldn't stand a chance in hell. It'd disintegrate about the time it got through the open door, if not before. Amen? The torments would be so bad it couldn't take it. But those that, in, that enjoy going the, the way of this world and enjoy leaving God out of their lives, they're going to get a body that will endure. Down there, the torments that God has set up for us the devil and his angels. Amen. So everybody is going to have every action into, be taken into consideration. All right? I got to tell you, your works and your deeds matter. Every day, all the time. What you do, somebody's taking notice of it and if somebody on this earth is not taking note of it, it's logged in the annals of eternity that you're going to face on that final day, that final judgment. Now, you'd say, well, deeds, they're not that important because we're not saved by works. Or we're not saved by deeds. No, you're not. According to Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, you're saved by grace through faith. Amen? Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, we know that scripture, right? But in those scriptures, it tells us that the works don't save us. But in this scripture, it says the works, not they don't save you, but they can condemn you. All right? So your works are going to matter. No matter whether you plan on spending eternity in heaven or not, you need to be careful of the works that you produce in your life. Amen? So... Uh, we need to make sure we do the best to, we can to make sure we have the most uh, good works, good deeds, the best you need to be uh, when you get to the final judgments. Amen? So here we are. We see our works and our deeds that we do in our body on earth are more important to you than you want to give credit to because our eternal house where we're going to spend eternity in verse 1, then they are in the earthly house we occupy now. Your works are more important to your next life 
than they are this life. Huh? You get that? That's what he's teaching us. Amen. Whether you consider those works in your body to be this physical body or even the body as we see in the church. What we do as a church, I think God takes note of. Did you know that? Now, there's a lot of people say, I don't see no reason to go to church. I can watch TV or read my Bible at home. There's a lot of things that happen in God's church and with the union of God's people coming together that you won't get on television and you won't get in your living room at home. Amen? You won't get it in your own personal study. There are things here that are happening. I don't have all the wisdom that God knows your heart can take. But maybe somebody else may stand up and say or testify what God had done for them. And God's no respecter of persons. If he done it for them, he'll do it for you. Amen. So we need to be on the ball because I believe your works matter and they don't qualify you as far as making it to heaven, but they can disqualify you from getting to heaven. Amen. They are, they are very important and they can be a big impact on that final day. So every time and every, every time you have a chance to do good, Take advantage of it. It'll go a long way in your savings account towards that final day. You know, you know what I said, savings account? You know, your savings account is, all of you's got one right now. You probably don't even bother. They don't pay no interest no more. But you know, you get extra money, what should you do with it? Put it away. Save it. Amen. For retirement. I'll say retirement account or whatever you want to call it. I call, I have a savings account and I get extra money I put in it and sooner or later it builds up to enough that uh, I can do something I want to do with it. Amen? It don't cost me nothing and I don't have to ask anybody for it. When I want it, I just go get it. Amen? Uh, it's not, a, if you're a financial wizard, you're going to say savings accounts are outdated. You shouldn't have one. That's up to you. But I'm saying any one of your good works you're doing is actually going into account for a day into the future, that final day. Amen? They'll probably, if I die and I still have a savings account, somebody else is going to get to spend that. But the savings account I'm talking about, you put your good works in, nobody else can spend them. They're yours for eternity. You get what I'm saying there? The analogy I'm trying to make? Well, along with that, look at the Galatians, the sixth chapter. Should just be a couple pages over. I just want to read verse 7 down through verse 10 here. It says here, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. There should be an exclamation point there, about seven of them. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. You can etch that in stone, because that's always going to be. For or because, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall we also reap. Now, have any of you ever found that to be true? What you sow, you reap. Amen? Amen. The younger you are, the more wild oats you want to sow, if you would. Well, guess what? They reap in the future. So here we find that for or because, verse 8, he that soweth in his flesh shall the flesh reap corruption or deeds or works. But he that soweth to the Spirit 
shall the Spirit reap life everlasting. Isn't that what we're interested in? Life everlasting? Isn't that where we want to end up? Is that the goal? Verse 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing. So if you did a good, a lot of good sowing in your life, eh, don't let somebody say, ah, man, you just wasting your time doing that. Going to church two hours out of your Sunday morning, you could be sleeping in. Well, I'd like to think the two hours I spend in, or whatever, three hours we spend here in the building on Sunday morning is worth a whole lot more to me than three extra hours with my eyes closed on, with my head on a pillow. Amen? Some people it's not. You know, some people schedule things for Sunday morning. We see them as we drive by the ball fields and we see them as we drive by Kroger's and we see them as we drive by whatever business is open on Sunday morning. Amen. The reason they're open, a lot of people think that's more important than church. But we shouldn't be that way. For uh, we need to make sure that we're not weary and well-doing for in due season. Now due season is what we talked about due time. You know due season is? That's God's time. It's God's season. Amen. Now you do what you want. You can plant what you want and, and uh, it'll bring a harvest, but it's going to do it in God's timing. Amen. I know. I planted tomatoes this spring. And I wish they were just a hundred of them on each vine out there in my yard. Just nice, great, big, juicy tomatoes. I'm figuring I'll get a few, but it's going to be in God's timing. I cannot do anything to that plant that I can think of to make it produce more or produce it faster. That's all up to God. Amen? So when you do things like that, you need to make sure you do the, look for the reaping for that in due season. If we faint not. Oh. So God's going to work it out if you don't give up. Never give up on what you're sowing that's going to come to fruit, fruition for the kingdom of God. You say, well, I planted some good seed a long time and I ain't seen nothing. Well, it's not due time yet. It's not due season. But don't give up. And verse 10, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them of the household of faith. Amen. We got some good doings we got to get doing. Amen. So, uh, when is the sowing season? Now. Amen. You don't have to wait for the right time, for the right moon, for the right sunlight, for the right temperature, for the right raindrops. Plant. Amen. I realize we're talking spiritual. Now, you've got to use a little more wisdom when you're planting tomatoes. To plant them in September or October wouldn't do you a bit of good. They wouldn't have time to produce anything before the frost would get them and kill them. So when is the reaping season? If the planting season's now, when's the reaping season? Every day between now and the final day, spiritually speaking. Amen? As you therefore have opportunity, verse, verse 10 says, let's jump on every opportunity. Let's take advantage of every opportunity we have uh, uh, to make them count, not only in this lifetime, but for eternity's savings account. Put them in there. As they produce, let them add up in your savings account and God will make sure it all 
ends up being to your benefit. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, again, a couple pages over. Verse 5 through 9. I think I'll just read this like Brother Steve did in Sunday school. Just read this real slow here and think about in the context of what we're talking about. Servants, who's servants? All of us are. Because all of us have a boss. Did you know you had a boss? Oh, even if you're retired. Even if you're rich, like me. You still got a boss, don't I, Bonnie? Amen. We've all got bosses. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh. With fear and trembling. In singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Huh. Somebody has authority over you, pay attention to what they tell you. Amen? Your servants, you've got to work these things out. Don't do it with eye service. Amen. Have you ever had people that, well, you ask them a question and they give you the answer they think you want to hear? Huh, that's useless. Tell me the truth. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Don't just smile and, oh, you're so great. I hear that all the time. I'd rather have the truth. Amen. If I did a bad job preaching, tell me. How else am I going to improve? Amen. If I'm ugly, say so. Amen. Not out loud. Anyway. All right. But anyway, he says, not with eye service as men pleasers. There's a lot of people in this world just want to please somebody else. Men pleasers. And all of you have done that back when you were dating. Think about it. Amen. You would have done anything to win that other person's heart so that they'd say yes when you took your knee or when he took a knee, you'd say, oh, give me that ring. Can't wait now. Amen. That's men pleasers. But do it as servants of Christ. What did we find out Thursday night about servants of Christ? Huh. They were the ones, the servant was the one that washed the feet, not the one that had their feet washed. Amen. Doing the will of God from the heart. Amen. You know, everything I do, I try to do it in the will of God. And I try to do it with my heart. Amen. I tell people all the time, when I work, I work hard. When I play, I play hard. When I sleep, I sleep hard. Everything I do, I do hard. And most of you can tell when I eat, you're right, I eat hard. Amen. Well, I do everything that way. Because I don't have time to mess around if you want. But I do it as I, what I think God would be pleased with. And he says in verse 7, with good will doing service, which is deeds and works, as to the Lord and not to men. Amen? If you only come to church this morning to please Brother Deed, you came for the wrong reason. Amen? I'm glad you're here, and I hope the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your heart while you're here, but if you only came to please me, I ain't nobody. But if you came to please God, it's going into your savings account. Amen. And he's going to reveal it on that final day. Verse 9, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord. Do you know what? God wants to bless his people. 
But he's not going to bless them over top of bad attitudes, out of discouragement, out of sin, out of temptations that you can't get victory over. Amen? But if you smile and move forward and say, thank you, Lord, he'll bless you for that. Amen? I know he will because he has me many a times. Amen? So whatsoever thing, uh, whatsoever good thing a man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. Amen? Whether he be rich or poor, whether he's tall or short, whether he's fat or skinny, or any other thing you want to put in there, you're going to receive of the Lord the effort you put into it. Huh, how about that stuff? That's pretty good. And ye masters. Now some of you have a high position. And a lot of people look up to you. And some do look up to me as the pastor. And they try to show me as much respect as they can for the office. And they know I'm just a human being and I make mistakes. But for the office of pastor, if they want to get their soul fed, it's going to have to come through me. Until you replace me. We you hurry. But until then... You're, I'm the one that's going to give the message that God is delivering. So, even if you masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also in heaven, and neither is there respect of persons with him. God has no respect of persons. So I can't show respect of persons. I try not to my very best. Amen? I know some, everybody I look at it this way, everybody that comes to church brings joy. Some by coming and some by leaving. Amen? Just the way it is. Sorry. Amen? Be attuned to what the Holy Spirit's calling you to be. Amen? And so if I read that and understand the impact it's having on my future, I need to know that I'm doing what God wants me to do. We're all servants. We're subject to many masters on the job at school on the highway the government the IRS your spouse in this world there are a lot of people that's going to tell you what to do but also we have the two witnesses that guide us spiritually in the way he, God wants us to go amen so number one, we need to make sure we're not doing it as a men pleaser. On the final day, nobody's going to stand up for you and say, oh, he's a good guy, God. Let him into heaven. You do not have any representation on that final day. You're going to have to stand up with your savings account of the good works and the good deeds that you've done. And whether you please man or not, it's not going to mean a thing to God at that time. But as a servant of Christ, we need to do it. The scripture says in verse 6, doing the will of God from the heart. Amen. Now verse 7 repeats that again and says, as to the Lord, which we, we need to do. Because you're going to reap what you sow. Again, we said that in Galatians 6, 7 to 10. Now in verse 9, even if you were in authority on earth over others that are accountable to you, be godly in your dealings with them. Amen? Amen. If you're the boss and people come to you for advice, be nice to them. 
Treat them like you are the one that's on the bottom rung of the ladder and not on the top rung and help them, give them a help hand up to climb the ladder that they should. And you need to be uh, on the accountable to those that are under you just as much as you are accountable to God which is over you. So be godly in your dealings with your subordinates because there's no respect to persons with God. Amen. If you're the boss of a thousand people in a factory somewhere, treat all thousand of them the same. That's fair. Amen. Now there are some probably that are better workers than others. And you may have to call them in for disciplinary action because of their actions. But from your heart, doing the will of God, you cannot have respect to persons. We should treat those others that are under us the same way we treat the ones that are above us in whatever we do in this life. Amen? Just because you had a bad boss, don't be a bad boss. Amen? I used to tell Julie, she used to be a waitress at Bob Evans while she was still in school. I don't even know if she was able to drive at that point or not, whether she even had a drive. I may have to take her to work. But um, she would wait on a table, and the people would treat her terrible. And she'd come to my table to wait on me with a sad face and a frown and all upset and practically sometimes even in tears. And I'd say, wait a minute, Julie. How they treated you cannot affect you when you go to the next table. You need to go to the next table, leaving what happened back there behind you, and come to the next table with a smile and a good attitude and treat the next person correctly. Amen. She had a guy that threw a biscuit at her, as if she's the one that made the biscuit hard or overcooked it or whatever. And he's a lucky fella. You know why? I wasn't there that day. Amen. You don't throw biscuits at my daughter when she's trying to serve you and help you. Uh, that's just not the way we treat one another. Amen? As Christians, we should always look for the, the opportunity to do better today than we did yesterday. Amen? And be better to others than others were to us. Day by day, there's a growth that we should see in that. You'll find a little kindness and a smile will go a long way in your interactions with others. Amen? You know why that is? Because you're going to reap what you sow. Amen? You can say, well, brother dude, I was as nice as I could be to someone and they treated me terrible. Well, join the club. <laughs> Hello? Are you awake? Amen? Can't we all relate to that? Amen. If you notice, every garden I've ever planted, and I've planted a lot of garden over my 72 years. Amen. Every one of them had weeds come up in it. I didn't plant them. Where'd they come from? Huh. Weeds have a way of just coming on. In this world, you're going to have a lot of weeds growing around the things that you sow even if you sow it with a good heart in the will of God to give glory to God for what you sow. The devil's going to sow tares amongst your wheat. Jesus gave us that parable. Leave them alone. There's coming a time when the wheat and tares are going to be totally separated. Again, 
That's in that final day that we're speaking about this morning. Amen. Be aware, the final day is for all of us. And Paul is speaking of that final day in 1 Corinthians 15th chapter. Sorry, the new pages are sticking together. I'm going to have to read this Bible through three or four times just to loosen up the pages. Verse 51, in, in, we're in 1 Corinthians 15. Behold, I show you a mystery. How many of you love to go to a mystery and watch mysteries? I don't really care for them. I, well, number one, I'm not smart enough to keep up with them. You know, I just want them to show me whatever they, I need to know and move on. It doesn't have to be some kind of mystery. And we shall not all sleep. Huh. Now this coming, this final day, shouldn't be a mystery to us. Now, we don't know when it's going to come, but it shouldn't be any kind of mystery. We should be expecting it and looking forward to it. I'll show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I already talked about that. In a moment. Ain't going to take long. In the twinkling of an eye. Just as fast as the light hits an eye and it twinkles. It's how quick it's going to Matter of fact, it'll probably be over before most people even realize it happened. Amen? At the last trump. You know why he threw that thought in? The last trump? In the first century, trumpets were how they signaled what was going on. They would blow a trumpet when it was time to go to church. They'd blow a trumpet when it was time to go eat. They'd blow a trumpet when it was time to get up. They'd blow a trumpet when it was time to retreat. They'd throw a trumpet when it was time to charge. Trumpets were warnings. In other words, when he says the last trump, he said, this is your last warning. No more. This is it. Don't wait on that trump and then think, oh, it's time for me to get ready to meet the Lord. No, if you wait for the trump, you done missed it. Amen, it's too late to get ready then. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Didn't he say that in the first verse? I think he did. He wants us to know you're not going to be the same person after that trump that you were before that warning. Amen? For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when the corruption shall have put on incorruption and mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You know there are people that are scared to death of death. They're afraid to die. Scared to death of it. I guess that's death and die. I'm scared to death. Yeah, that's an old saying we say, right? You know, death's going to be the easiest thing you've done in your life. Huh. Oh. Did you ever think of it? Well, I realize getting to that point, we've got a lot of emotions, we've got a lot of feelings, we've got a lot of pain, maybe, or whatever the situation is, but death itself, that's easy. Amen. That's easier than laying down on the mattress on your, put your head on the pillow. Huh. That's how easy it's going to be. Over, done. Amen. That's how easy death is. But a lot of people are worried to death about death. Because uh, he said death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. If you're a child of God and death comes, the only thing you've got to look forward after that is victory. 
Hello? Amen. So, if you think about this, this should ease your mind, so to speak, as to what's going to take place on that final day and what should take place in your life before that final day. It's a mystery. Amen. It's only a mystery because you're not there yet. That's the only mystery to it. Amen. Once you're there, mystery solved. Amen. There'll be no Sherlock Holmes there with their magnifying glass out trying to find clues. It's over. Forget it. Done. That quick. In a moment. The twinkling of an eye. That's pretty quick, I think. And by the time it happens, everything's going to be changed. The change will already be taking place. At that point, on the final day, the corruption going to turn into incorruption. And mortals going to turn into immortality. And all the temporary things will become permanent things, eternal things. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death will have met its match. Satan will lose every bit of the power he had on earth because earth will be no more. Satan, you're finished on that final day. Victory in Jesus puts everything in our rear view mirror. Amen? One of the things I'm striving and I'm working on, and I keep telling Bonnie constantly, not constantly, constantly means off. I do tell her regularly, you know, my life, I'm moving forward, and I'm doing it in such a way that I have no regrets. I can't look back and say, I wish I'd have done better. I wish I'd have done it different. Nope, I ain't even looking back. When I do it, I'm settling it with God. I want to move forward. No regrets. Amen? I ain't got time for regrets. That'll just drag you down. Verse 58, when he talks about this, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, who's the brethren? That's the sisters too. That's the church he's writing to, the, the Corinthian church. First thing he tells us, there's six things you need to be. Are you ready? Be steadfast. Unmovable. Number three, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Number four, for you know, you know there's some things you should know? Your labor, number five, is not in vain in the Lord. Remember those six things when you think about the final day. The final day is coming for all of us. Until then, let's make every day count with no regrets. Amen. I know people that can't move forward because they're worried about what they did in the past. Get over it. Do the best. If you messed up, correct it. Move on. Don't dwell on it. Amen. You can correct whatever you did wrong in the past. Say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Move on. Smile. I love you. Let's do better. Amen. But let's do it so that the glory of God goes to our Heavenly Father and there's no respect of persons with Him. We're all going to face the same mystery at the same time and the results may not be the same but it doesn't matter because it's all in God's hands from that day forth. All we can do is put all the good works and all the good deeds in our savings account so that when God cashes it in, He'll know which way we need to go. Whether we're going to be counted as righteousness or unrighteousness. That's the dividing line, according to uh, 
Matthew 25, 46. Amen? You're going to go one way or the other. No middle ground. And it's going to be over so fast, you won't even know what happened and how it hit you. Amen? So we need to make sure we're ready for the final day because there is a final day for all of us. Amen? And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy, just worth it. Let